our foreheads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this magnificent privilege, this honor of gathering together as family in the unity of the faith, Father. Thank you for giving us the completed canon of Scripture. It is a very bread of life that we are able to enjoy in time. Thank you for feeding us so faithfully from it. And thank you for giving us the provisions to be able to do so. This church, the spiritual gift even, was so very appreciative to you. Father, thank you for the gospel, for making it real to us and giving it to us so straightforward and simply in such a way that we're able to spread it to others in a world that just seems to be accelerating away from your son. We pray for those not able to be with us this evening, and we pray also for those that are still lost, that do not have a relationship with you through your Son. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your Son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt against us and to make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace they were prepared, part 69. Go to James 1.17. We'll start here. This is a verse that uh, came up in Tuesday's message. James 1, verse 17. Wonderful reminder. Uh, we're going to talk and begin a little bit this evening on the little things and things to be grateful for. James 1.17 Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. And uh, just uh, thank you, Scott, for uh, a wonderful review on Tuesday um, and for your faithfulness to this ministry and this congregation. And uh, like I say, with this pulpit and this spiritual gift, may we never take your spiritual gifts for granted either. <clears throat> Speaking of taking things for granted up here on the board, this came up in that lesson from Evangelist Grande. Only the Word can rescue us from a gloomy perspective. How many times do we thank God for all the good little things? James 1.17 We know that all, every good thing comes from heaven. So, the lights are on. I didn't die when I hit my head. Some of you are like, darn it. Right? <laughs> I mean, you're warm, right? You're comfortable. I mean, what the heck? You're breathing, right? What about all those things? You know what the Word does? It reminds us of those things. It says, hey, wake up. You get all these amazing things to be thankful for. The world doesn't tell you those things. The world says, keep chewing and chomping at the bit for more and more and more. In other words, be implacable. Be like your flesh. Associate even with the ways of the flesh. And never be satisfied. Always, you know, plodding along. And, and never resting. And that in light of the fact that Jesus said, I give you my peace. 
Only the word can rescue us from a gloomy perspective. And that's what I've always loved about perspective um, is that it can change that fast. You can be having the worst day and you just see a bird fly by the window, or in my case, into the window. Very often, we have a big bay window. They fly into the window all the time. You're like, I don't know, probably the same dumb one, right? You know, but it, it makes you laugh. See how you just laughed? Some of you could have been having a bad day, and then you just laughed at the poor bird. Shame on you. <laughs> I'm not as bad as the bird. <laughs> I didn't break my neck. But, you know, like, your perspective can change in a moment. That's what I love about what the Word can do. And when it installs perspective in our souls, He has something. We have a go-to. You know what I mean? We have a go-to place. We, we grow. We gain wisdom. And then with just a little wink from God, we have a place to go that's a sense of freedom, a place of freedom uh, that's just magnificent. And we should never become familiar with those things or take these things for granted. Only the Word can rescue us from a gloomy perspective. How many times do we thank God for all the little things? And you know, there are lots of little things that could be taken away tomorrow. And it isn't until such things are gone that we learn to appreciate them. And that's very sad. It isn't until things are gone that we learn to appreciate them and I was thinking about that because that's what <clears throat> was going on in my own soul when I was listening to Tuesday's class. Why does it take tragedy to wake us up to God's grace? Why does it take loss to wake us up to things that we already know we should be grateful for? I mean, everyone in here nodded when I said, oh, you breathe in, the lights are on, everybody's, yay, yay. But that's in church. Reflect on your day. Were you like that during the day or were you miserable? Were you implacable? Were you complaining about this or that? Why does it take tragedy to wake us up to God's grace? Consider the point on the board again, for example. How many times do we thank God for all the good little things? James 1.17. As I was listening to Tuesday's message, the Spirit really pressed upon me, uh, pressed home something that we get so familiar with. And if you've been reading the blogs, you know what I'm about to say. How about your access to the Bible? How about that? How about just the fact that you have a Bible to go to? When we went to India, Joey and I went to India, right? These people didn't have Bibles. They were so elated that we gave them Bibles. They didn't have anything. And here we have Bibles. Some of us have, you know... I don't know, I pro I don't know who knows how I many I have, 10, 15, I don't know how many I got hanging around, but I have a lot of Bibles, and some people don't have any. And I told you, and you've all agreed that it happens in your own lives, that we can get so familiar with the Bible that we don't even pick it up. So how about access to your Bible? There are many in this world that don't have access to the Bible, that's like not having the, let's call it the succulent, to use a big word, buffet that we call the bread of life, the word of God. I mean, this is, this is the bomb. This is it. This is the cat's meow for you older people. <laughs> Tried to span the generations. Right? 
It really is. I mean, we get to dine on that whenever we want. And some don't have that opportunity. While we freely feast on the contents of the Bible anytime we want, millions in this world don't even have access to it. For example, have you ever breezed over whole passages in the Bible, failing to treat it like it is, holy? That's the word I'm getting at, holy. The Bible is holy. And that's that word that keeps, if you've been following along for months now, it keeps like percolating up in our studies. Holiness, holy. It's been on the back burner for a long time. At some point, he's going to pull the trigger, and I'll teach a series on holiness, I suppose. But it's ironic because the very word that appropriately describes the thing we are taken for granted, like the Bible, is among the first things we take for granted, holiness. It's ironic. I mean, the word that describes the thing we're taking for granted, the Bible, which is holy. Holiness itself we take for granted. Go to Psalm 119, 103. Psalm 119, 103 for some perspective. And if you want to read, I just read the, the whole of Psalm 119. It's just so... Ah, that's it. You know what I'm getting at? There's not a word. I just read it and I was like, oh man, this is amazing. Psalm 119, 103. It's just amazing because there's a sense of fellowship with, you know, as we're going to read just a little piece of it. Um, the writer of Psalms uh, just loved the Word of God. And it's, and it's encouraging to read someone who's reading or writing this thing. Look at how sweet. How sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. I hate it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I was just thinking, you know, a light to my path. That's just another phrase for deliverance. The Word is able to deliver you from darkness. When you're in that pit, when you're having that bad day, when you're, you know, I'm not waxing poetic here, but just life in general, being delivered, being sanctified. Well, what is it? The Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, how do you get sanctified? The Word of God, up here on the board. On the topic of deliverance, we get familiar with the holiness of the Word. Freedom is on the other side of familiarity. I've taught this. Again, we get familiar with the holiness of the word. Holiness means to be set apart for God's good purpose. Sanctified, set apart for God's purposes. Have we forgotten that? That this is God's, this is where we learn God's purpose for our lives. We get familiar with it. It's, a, it's, it's astounding how many times any of us go to the world for counsel instead of the Word of God. Pick up the phone or text somebody or call somebody, um, if people even do that anymore, to get advice when the Word of God is right there. Go to Hebrews 4.11. <clears throat> Hebrews 4.11. Freedom is on the other side of that familiarity. That's what the Spirit's trying to say. Hebrews 4.11. If you want deliverance in time, then you have to pick up your Bible. You have to remember, you have to respect it. 
for what it is. It's the very Word of God. I wrote another blog. It's going to come out on Saturday. For those of you who are wise to my ways, you know that it's posted on the website on Friday. But it goes out in email form on Saturday for you lazy people. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews 4.11 Therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword in piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's the power of the word of God. It cuts right to the chase, doesn't it? I would argue that some of you probably don't go to the word of God because you don't want to know the truth. I've been having this dialogue with someone that's you know, reasonably close to me for a while now. And the fact, the, the reality is they don't want the truth. I try to direct them to scripture. I try to direct them to the word of God. I've been sending them the blogs. You know, like, look, you see, this is like the holy word of God. This is where you should be going for your deliverance, for your understanding. Oh, no, thank you. It's unbelievable. Up here on the board. Set your minds on the fact that the Bible is the Word of God. It is absolutely holy. And and make a concerted effort in your own soul to remember those words, absolutely holy. There is nothing else in your life. You're not absolutely holy. There's no person in your life other than Jesus Christ that's absolutely holy. That includes Great-great-grandma who thought she was holier than thou. Only God, only His Word is pristine. And in your tenacity towards the inspired Word of God, be prepared. Go to John 15, 18. John 15, 18. If you're going to take this direction from God the Holy Spirit, and take this seriously upon your life, then just be prepared. Because as the Word of God sanctifies you, you will be sanctified away from the world. And the world, by the way, if you haven't figured it out yet, is trying to sanctify you for its purposes. Wants to set you apart for its purposes. Wants you to get in that treadmill. That's why the world starts at school Let's train them up from elementary school to to middle school to high school. Let's give them all this garbage in their soul. Let's just teach them philosophy and and psychology and evolution and all these things that are antithetical to the absolute holy Bible. Let's teach them all these things. Let's indoctrinate them into these things. So by the time they become adults, it's a big mess. Thank God that guys like me exist that are actually willing to cut through the chase or cut through all the, um, the lies, the web of lies. John 15, 18, but you know what? I'm hated for it. You're hated for standing for the truth. Look at it. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. So said Jesus. 
If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So be prepared. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So just be prepared. Be ready and willing to be laughed at when you stand up for the word. But never, ever lose hope. Go to Proverbs 3.32. Proverbs 3.32. Be prepared, but never, ever lose hope. Never doubt God's timing. Remember, in God's eyes, one, one day is like a thousand, a thousand is like one. So you have to think in terms of the way that God thinks. Uh, he never misses a beat. So don't lose hope. Proverbs 3.32 For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. So please do not lose hope. The good news about our hope is that it is a living hope. Not just something, oh, I can't wait for the future. No, you have what the Bible calls a living hope right now as a believer in Christ. And you should be enjoying it. Despite what's going on around us, despite the mayhem. I mean, it's just getting worse. It's craziness out there. I mean, it's, it's mayhem. It's getting worse. But you know what? I wake up every morning. You should wake up every morning. Say your prayers, say, give your thanks to God and say, what do you have in store? You don't even know, let's face it. Any one of us could walk out of this building tonight, get run over and die. I mean, I hate to be grotesque, but, you know, you choose your death, I don't care. Right? I mean, whatever. Choose it. You know, choose wisely. But, guys screwed me up. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so you don't even know how long you're going to live. That's the whole point. You don't know. You have no idea. I have no idea where I was going with that. <laughs> I got caught in a moment. The good news about our hope is that it's a living hope. That was the point. Not like that false, perverted hope that some religions teach regarding salvation at the end of our earthly lives. That's no way to hope. What kind of hope is that if it's not a living hope? If it's not something I can hope in right now in the present state, what kind of hope is that? What is it like 10, 20, 30, 40 years away or minutes? Who knows? I want God gave us a living hope and we're meant to enjoy it. Up here on the board, 1 Peter 1 3 in the Amplified. Blessed, gratefully praised, and adored be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant and boundless mercy has caused us to be born again, that is, to be reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purpose to an ever-living hope and confident assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an ever-living hope. The newest New American translates that, the living hope to a living hope, something we can enjoy right now. How awesome is that? 
what that means is that eternal life starts now. As a believer, you have already been given eternal life. Why would, we, why would the good God of this world, excuse me, the good God of the universe, suppose or propose that we receive eternal life, but not until it's all over with? So what this means, again, is that eternal life starts now. There is no hope in the wisdom of men. The Bible is very clear on that. Go to 1 John 5, 9. 1 John 5, 9. First John 5, 9. What about hope? What about eternal life? Well, we have these things now. First John 5, 9. And you know where we get them? The Word of God. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that He has testified concerning His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself, the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. When you receive the son, you receive eternal life. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that what? You have eternal life. Now, that's not something we have to wait for. We've been given that life now. So for the sake of perspective on the topic of deliverance, since that's the direction he's taking us this evening, God opens the eyes of the humble. That is not a promise that he gives the arrogant. Again, for the sake of perspective on the topic of deliverance, humility, God opens the eyes of the humble. That is not a promise that he gives the arrogant. And I was thinking about this today. How can we legitimately say we're right about something or we know the truth if there's no scripture to back it up? I've been thinking a lot about that. I mean, what are the things that are foundational to you in your own life? What are the things that, you know, they're like the pillars in our life. You, 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 there are pillars in our lives. And I think the older we get, the more broad and strong and probably few they become. I think eventually it just becomes the gospel. But how, how can we legitimately say we're right or know the truth if there's no scripture to back it up? In other words, shouldn't everything in our life have some scriptural backing? In that ongoing dialogue, I, I wrote something this long in response. And everything I said is scripturally backed. The response I got was, well, that's your viewpoint. I said, it really is because it's the Bible's viewpoint, if you really want to know, because everything I said is actually from the Bible. Well, that's your viewpoint. <laughs> I mean, how am I supposed to respond to that? I mean, that's, that's how I want to live. I mean, isn't there enough time in this day to stop con conjecturing about things that Scripture doesn't cover? It, or isn't there enough time in the day to 
meditate on what's in here than rather speculate on what's not specifically there? Technically, the only competence we really ever have is through the Word of God, walking by the Spirit. Go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Technically, the only confidence we really ever have is through the Word of God, walking by the Spirit. I suppose if you don't pick up the Word of God, how are you going to do that? If you don't depend on the Word of God, how are you going to do that? If you're too busy sinning and quenching the Spirit, how are you going to do that? If your eyes are on earthly things rather than above, how are you going to do that? If you're implacable, if you have no desire whatsoever to pray without ceasing, give thanks for everything, how are you going to do that? How much are you going to rejoice in life if those things are true? Galatians 5.1 It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will, have, will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Remember, he was dealing with some religious people that said that you had to be circumcised to even be saved. That's garbage. It's a lot like some of the churches around here that uh, are religious. You've got to do this to go to heaven. You've got to do that to go to heaven. That's garbage. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law, by doing good. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. Remember, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, sounds like our society, of which I, I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. As we noted on Tuesday, up here on the board, vindicated by our deeds, as the believer grows up spiritually through God's Word and the Spirit, he will be vindicated in his life by good deeds, good fruit. We just saw the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, patience, kindness. This is how you know that you're being sanctified. These are the things that other people will witness in you. There's a thing called a testimony, and that's your life. So many people want to jab, but what about your life? How about your life? Do you, do you try to prove your salvation by being religious? No. But if you're saved, true religion will flow out of you, as James would call it. This is true religion, to look after orphans and widows and such, to have a heart, to love one another. That's the fulfillment of the whole law. We just saw that. But if you have no love, then there's no truth in you. John says that earlier in the same book. Vindicated by deeds, as the believer grows up spiritually through God's word and spirit, he will be vindicated in his life by good deeds and good fruit. Matthew eleven eighteen 18 and 19, Luke 7, 33 to 35, John 4, 24. Let's review a couple, uh, yeah, a couple of these passages with a little more context this time around. Go to Luke 7, 31. Luke 7.31, I'm going pretty quickly because these are, this is all points of review. I'm slowing down briefly on areas where he shed a little more light. But Luke 7.31, that's why it behooves you not to miss lessons. Luke 7.31, to what then shall I compare the men of this generation and what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. In other words, the fruit of wisdom vindicates her. That's the wonderful thing about um, living this life that we've been given, is that if you hold fast, um, if you exercise patience, if you exercise love, uh, then you end up proving God's Word, vindicating God's Word for what it truly is, that you really are delivered, that you are, really are sanctified for God's good purposes. And the only way that ever happens is if you stand fast, if you esteem the Word of God. That's why we started off the way we did this evening. If you hold this in the highest regard in your life, far be, infinitely beyond any wisdom of any man or woman on earth, and if you do that, you will be vindicated. When you're standing by, when you're, even when you're, you know, unfairly treated, or you're beginning to doubt the timing of God, stand fast, because God's got everything under control. And that's wisdom. Go to John 4.24. 
John 4.24. See, that's the thing. These are not punchlines. You know, divine patience, divine love. These are not punchlines. People like to use these things as punchlines and make posters and all that garbage and say, oh, you know, the fruit of the Spirit and, you know, love and to, you know, love this and love that and kumbaya and all this garbage. And they have no fruit whatsoever to that end. John 4.24 God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. The truth is right here. This is the truth. This is the word of God. That's the truth. We were also given this as a corollary on vindicated by deeds up here on the board. The production, divine good works in the lives of John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus proved the accusations of the religious Pharisees to be false. And so the lives we live can prove the same in the view of those trapped in religion. 1 Peter 1.7 up here on the board. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think of uh, Bill Johnson right now. The proof of his faith. He's got people around him. I don't know who they are. Chances are there's somebody that he comes into contact with that sees his faith, sees a living hope, sees something exists right now. He's not bitter. He's looking forward to what's going on. Why is it there's so many religious people out there are scared to death of death? Why? Why? What are you afraid of? It's a promotion. I'm actually stoked for Bill. It's a promotion. You get to go be with the Lord. What are you afraid of? Unless, unless you lack faith. Now you have everything to be afraid of. Because who the heck wants to go to hell? Who wants to be separated from God? If they even know what that even means. So the proof of your faith is evidenced. And it's vindicating. That's the point the Spirit's making. It's vindicating. If you're going to clutch to anything in your life far beyond any other human being, clutch to this. Young people, clutch to this before you go out and get a date. Before you go, I don't know, get your next boyfriend, your next girlfriend. Cling to this first. This is the first source of happiness in your life. No other human being will ever surpass this, ever no matter how pretty or handsome they might be. The last piece of information the Spirit gave us on Tuesday was on the topic of works. This in light of the fact that we looked at the book of James on Sunday, particularly the following, because the last thing I want you to get from this lesson is that, oh, well, good deeds vindicate me, so I'll go run out the door and do all kinds of good deeds, and that becomes a religious practice. And then you look at James, and if you get it twisted, you can get it wrong. See, James says to do these things. No, no, no. James talks about power. What we see is not the power of man through his own faith, because everyone has faith in something. Even unbelievers have faith in something. If you're an unbeliever, typically it's your own ability to sanctify yourself. So what we see is not the power of man through his own faith. What we see is the power of God through the faith he has given us. In other words, the power source is not from us, it's from God. 
The prior is legalism and religion. The latter is grace. As the book has taught us, a faith in the wrong object is not powerful at all. What the Word tells us very clearly is that it is the source of deliverance in our lives. The Word is omnipotent, all-powerful. For what purpose? To sanctify us. And as that recurring theme has been from the pulpit, every little bit, every little movement, even if it's, you know, microscopic, figuratively speaking, counts. You see, you've been vindicated. God's Word in your life has been vindicated. Even though it's this much, it happened, didn't it? And just so you know, this isn't some esoteric reality or something mystical or reserved for some heightened state of spirituality. I'm not talking down to you. I'm talking with you. I'm only up here so you can see me. It's my job to teach the truth. It's my job to give whatever clarity I can, any wisdom I might have, from the words on these pages. That's my job. I'm a waiter. There's nothing that glorious about it. So this isn't some mystical, like I say, heightened state of spirituality that we're talking about. This is for every believer who meditates on the Word the way the psalmist did. Go back to Psalm 119.46. Psalm 119.46. Psalm 119.46 I will also speak of your testimonies before kings. How about you? Think of Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Some of you have lords in your life. Some of you have uh, social kings and queens in your life. Oh, I could never try to evangelize her. I'd rather date her. I could never try to evangelize him. He's way too James Dean. I don't know. What's the problem? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Seriously. Look at the psalmist says. He said, I love this. I love the word of God so much. I'll tell it to anybody. Matter of fact, that's my intention, to bring this thing to everyone. Psalmist says, I will also speak of your testimony, testimonies before kings and shall not be ashamed. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. You see it? I just taught you that. Obviously, the psalmist is a lot more poetic and efficient than I am, just saying. But that's exactly what I just said in two verses. Pretty humbling, isn't it? This is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. 
I have remembered your ordinances from old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked. Yeah, we can relate, can we not? Does it not tick you off? Come on, come on. Does it not tick you off when someone else who's evil and wicked gets ahead? You're both striving for the same thing and this just mm, surpasses you? Seriously. Doesn't, isn't there a certain indignation that goes on when the wicked get ahead? You're lying if you think there isn't. But we have to depend on God's timing. Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Verse 53 also speaks primarily to the fact that, how about this? How about, do you get angry? Do you get upset when someone says, nah, that's your view. Nah, the Bible meh, whatever. Do you get a little upset? I do. I feel like throttling people. That's why I, he made me a pastor, obviously, so I don't get out. Get it? You stay in a cave. <laughs> you go over there. Let them go out. A little more stable. <laughs> Just go in your garage. Bang on some stuff. Don't you get indignant? You want to argue with me about Scripture for Scripture? Fine. You want to compare Scripture on Scripture? Fine. Teach me something. I'm all for it. But if you're going to throw the Word of God out, I have a burning indignation toward you because that's like spitting in the face of my Lord. I won't stand for it. I have no tolerance for it. We can agree to disagree, but if you're going to go toe-to-toe with me, I'm going to have an indignation about it. And so should you. That's the point. Verse 55, O Lord, I remember your name in the night and keep your law. This has become mine that I observe your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. Again, the principle the Spirit's making is simple. Up here on the board, the Word is the source of deliverance in our lives. You have to hold fast to it. It's the very bread of life. It's your sustenance. You're emaciated without food, right? How many are you going to go the next three days without food? None of you. But yet, some of you might go that long and much longer without this food and think nothing of it. And you're spiritually emaciated, and you wonder why you don't have the fruit of the Spirit. You wonder why your life isn't a vindication of what you say you believe. James 1.21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. God uses the word implanted not only to save us from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. He uses it not only to save us from damnation, but also from damage in this life. That's the beauty of the word of God. It's omnipotent. 
if we distrust the word and supplant it for human viewpoint, ultimately placing our faith in such things, we are derailed completely. For there is salvation in no other name, that is Jesus Christ, who the Bible describes as the very fullness of grace and truth. Go to John 1, 16 to 17. John 1, 16, 17. John 1, 16. If we begin distrusting the Word, and Jesus Christ is the Word, we are going to be derailed. Verse 16, For of His fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law is given, was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. As I've taught many times in the past, grace gives. And love, especially the human manifestation of it in Christ, cannot help but express itself. Love gives. You remember that? Love cannot help but express itself. If you hold dear this word, the great manifestation of it in your life is to love. Jesus Christ said, love those. Pray for those ones who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. What? Yeah. How are you going to do that without that implanted in your soul? How are you going to do that if that hasn't delivered you from all the garbage, from the retribution that the world speaks of? How are you going to do that unless all that's been squeezed out by truth? John 5.36 but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Why did Jesus, we've often expressed this, why did Jesus hang on the cross? Because love hung on the cross. What motivated him? A joy set before him all the way to the cross. How can you possibly say that there was a joy set before him? Because he knew what it was going to accomplish for you and me. And he loves us. That's why. That's what a loving person does. We lay down our lives for others. That's what the Bible says. Greater love is no one than this. Then they lay down their lives for others. That's how you know you have the word implanted. Because now the priority in your life isn't you. The priority is others. The priority is this right here. And whatever this says, as the psalmist says, I love, I keep. It's the dearest thing in my life. Some of you use it as a coaster for your growlers. And we still haven't figured out the word of a wine glass other than a wine glass. It's not a flute. Someone educate me, will you? Sheesh. It's going to call it a wine glass. This is what you need to hold dear. Priority number one, get this straight. To cut to the chase on the topic of works, though, we might need, or we might heed Jesus' brother's words. Go to James 2, 17, quickly. It looks like we're going to make it. I feel like I'm running the last, like, you know, the last leg. Oh, I'm burning. My legs are burning. 
James 2, 17 to 18, <clears throat> on the topic of works, on the topic of vindication by deeds, etc., on the topic of keeping the Bible close, even so faith, if it has no works, is what? Kaput! Dead! Being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. That's not a legalistic statement. That's James saying, hey, can we be practical here? Can we stop joking around? Can we stop being stupid? Can we just say, listen, if God changes you, you're going to bear fruit. You know, he gave you a new root system. The root's called Jesus Christ. And from there flow the rivers of life. You understand? There's nothing else going to come out of you. <laughs> from the new side, anyways, of course, you have this thing. But what are we saying here? You're saying, you one, in one breath, you're saying you're saved, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in another breath, you have literally no fruit? What are we saying here? God's a liar. He's impotent. He can't do it. He can't, he can't get it done. What are we saying? That's what religion says. God's impotent, so we have to jump in and help him. Starting with salvation. You see, the cross wasn't enough. Jesus, good old chap, God's only begotten son, but it, obviously it wasn't enough because there's certain sins. You know, we just got to keep it up so we can be justified to get into heaven. That's an insult to the one who sent him and the one who hung on a cross. It's an insult. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Again, we've been talking a lot about power lately, which takes us back to the point of completion. Let's finish up our working framework. Going to have a ticker tape parade. 69 parts, not including all the little ins and outs along the way. Pretty cool stuff. What the apostles lacked, I mean, we're still on this theme. Why are they so encouraging? Because they lacked these things. They lacked understanding, they lacked humility, faith, commitment, and even power. Can you relate? I, mean, I can. I look at those things and I just chuckle. Yep, I'm still stupid, I'm still arrogant, I'm still unfaithful, I still lack commitment, and I'm still weak. <laughs> hey, so are you, man. <laughs> He's like... It's... If we can't be honest with ourselves, humble, what do we got? What's he got to work with? As we learned in great detail, the Word of God is omnipotent, all-powerful, and so is the Holy Spirit whom we receive when saved. Go to Acts 1, eight. Acts 1, verse 8. Go quickly. We're going to make it. Acts 1, verse 8. So we have the Word imparted, omnipotent Word. We also have the omnipotent Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but we have a say in this, don't we? We can say no to picking up our Bibles. We can say no to a good meal. We can also quench the Spirit. We can also say no to His convicting ministry in our lives. So this is where we come in. This is why when we're sanctified, these walls come down over time. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Hallelujah. How awesome is that? You're going to have the power to take the gospel out to the far reaches of the earth. Some of you don't even know. Some of you have just started off on your, on your lives, frankly. And some of you, and I'm not just talking about young people. I'm talking about people of 30, 40 years old. I know some people listen to my voice right now. They were in their 60s when they got saved. That's just like starting off, isn't it? That's unbelievable. It's like being given a new lease on life. Man, I went 60 years wasting my time, and all of a sudden I'm in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to see people saved. That's like a new lease on life. On Sunday we ended with big picture wisdom, and it looks like that's where he's going to depart with us on this fantastic series. How do we end? Specifically that our purpose on earth is to spread the gospel. We spent a year and a half on getting the gospel right. I mean really right. Getting out all the little mm, nasties, if you would, crusties. Our purpose, once we get the gospel right, that's why if you don't have the gospel right, don't run out of this church and go become Joe Evangelist. If it so happens, God sets it up, great. Give somebody the gospel truth, that's great. But pace yourself too. Know that God is patient. Our purpose on earth is to spread the gospel. And this is what glorifies God in time. Nothing we do for ourselves, nothing we say on our own behalf. This is what glorifies God in time. To see souls saved, is there a greater honor ever than to be a part of a soul saved? There's no way. There is no greater honor. So our purpose on earth is to spread the gospel. Are we weak? Do we lack these things? Yep. Do we get better at it as we're sanctified in time? Yep. Does God promise that we'll get better? He does. Is God impotent? No, He is not. So guess what? You have a living hope. Not just for all of eternity. We're going to spend all time with brothers and sisters in Christ, and all you want to do, if you have any crowns, cast them at His feet. But what about right now? Talking about right now. Your life brings glory to God. Why? Because God says it will. And God, will, who is faithful, will make it come, will come to pass. These are the things that glorify God. So what we really need is power to serve the Lord this way in this great commission of ours. And I'll just close with this. Reflect. <clears throat> Consider God's perfect, marvelous ways. Just big picture now. Consider God's perfect, marvelous ways. And know that the reason He sent His Spirit to teach us and guide us and convict us and empower us is simple. To bring glory to Him. That's why he sent his spirit, to teach us, to guide us, convict us, empower us even, to bring glory to him. In other words, we need his power to bring glory to him through the spreading of the gospel. Let me say it again. We need his power to bring glory to him through the spreading of his gospel. Amen? We made it. You believe it?
Well, it's going to be wonderful to see what he has in store for us on Sunday. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for taking us on this journey. 69 parts. Thank you so much for sanctifying us in the process. Thanks for always keeping it real. Not allowing our fleshes to seize excuse upon excuse. But rather face that man in the mirror or that woman in the mirror. And see what you see. Father, thank you for reminding us of what true humility looks like. And for patiently waiting on us as we seem to figure it out on our own, in our own slowness. Father, what a privilege and an honor it is to be loved by you and to bring the gospel out to a world that's just fading away. Father, we just ask for traveling mercies as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world. Father, it needs these things so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.